clap of praise this morning. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. I know it's gloomy and cold and wet outside, and uh, some of you might feel that way internally, but it's warm and toasty inside, and I pray that we'll be encouraged and uplifted by the Word of God this morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, and I know many of you like taking notes. My grandfather used to say a short pencil's better than a long memory. But uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. The book of Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. And, and I want us to just sit with this for just a moment. It's just two verses, but I want us to just sit for a moment and let this saturate our hearts and our spirits as we enjoy our time together. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I humbly come to you before your throne of grace this morning. Yet I ask that you would empty me of myself. And that you would give me the words that you would have me to speak that you would grant us wisdom, that you would grant us courage for the living of these days. God, I pray right now that you would remove any distractions, any kind of hurdle or burden. I pray, God, any sling of the arrow that the enemy try to press upon us, God, I pray that you would help us to focus in this moment on uplifting the name of Jesus and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Be with the listener this morning. I pray, God, that they would not hear from me, but I pray, God, I believe that they would hear what you have prepared for them. Be with those that are grieving, those that are discouraged, those that are hurting, those that are lonely, help us to be an encourager to someone else. Help us, as the writer just shared this morning, to spur one another on. Father, there are enough critics in this world. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus the Christ. Help us to show salt and light. And we humbly ask all this in the name that is above every name, the name that at the sound every knee shall bow and tongue confess is Lord above all. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Friends, this morning we're going to look at what it actually means to have a relationship with the church and sometimes a relationship more often than not, with those in the church. Now I want to ask you this morning, 
How many of you love coming to church? Anybody? There's a handful of you. Okay, not near as many as I thought. <laughs> my favorite thing about the church, do you know what my favorite thing about the church is apart from worshiping Jesus? It's the fellowship with God's people. Do you know what one of the most frustrating things I've seen in 18 years of full-time ministry is in and out of the church? It's the fellowship with God's people. Can I get an amen? No, really, can I get an amen? <laughs> How many of you have ever been hurt or discouraged by the church or by the church people? How many of you have ever been hurt or discouraged by the leadership in the church or the church's people? One of the things that I've realized and prayed through and had my spirit literally wrecked this week as I prepared this message. How good are we at living in fellowship and community as representatives of Jesus Christ? When I look at the early church and I see all the flaws that they had, I see all the times that Peter would open his mouth as wide as an alligator and put his size 14 sneaker inside there, and I think, my God, how could you use buffoons like that? And then every morning when I shave and brush my teeth and look at myself in the mirror, I kind of chuckle in my spirit and I say, well, that's exactly how you used buffoons like that. Amen. How do we live in community with other Christians? What is that tension? We are the most connected culture in recorded history. We get notifications every hour on the hour to our phones about the latest news, about weather, sports, politics. I know what type of Mexican food my friends had for dinner last night, whether I wanted to know them or not. I get excited when I share a photo and I have more likes this time than I did the last time. We are connected in a way never seen before. But yet we are also some of the most disconnected people ever. I remember growing up and knowing the names of not only my immediate next door neighbors, but everyone that lived down the street at Mirwood Trail. Now the road that I live on now is a little bit bigger. And I know my neighbors directly across from me. But I don't know the folks past that. We are connected in a way that we have never seen before, but we are also disconnected like never before. We might know a few things about a lot of people, but we don't have deep relationships with almost anyone in the ways in which we used to. And one of the problems I see with that is that I believe with all of my heart that God created us for community. God created us for deep relationships. This life is hard enough, and it is not meant to live in a John Wayne or in a Long Ranger type way. We are not meant to live and do life alone. And I am convinced with all of my heart that the best shot that you and I have of authentically and honestly following Jesus Christ, the best shot that you and I have of making it through the storms of this life is when we do it together. 
when we do it together. Oftentimes, I don't think we know how to get to that place. And here's the reality. We have a few things in this life that keep us from having that community that I believe deep down in our souls that we long for. We have something that keeps us from going into something more than surface-level relationships. And today we're going to look at the early church's example of community and why God says living in that fellowship is incredibly important. But before we get there, I want us to look at a couple of common barriers in our lives that keep us from having that fellowship that I believe that God has called us to have. The first one is this, busyness. We live in a time where we have things instantly at our fingertips. We have things easier than any generation that has preceded us, and yet I think we are busier than ever. I think all of us can relate to this. We may not have the relationships that we would like to have because of what? You fill in the blank for you. Think about your week and your schedule. Since I don't preach every week anymore like I did for the last many years, I will even admit there are times while I will sit in the pew while I'm listening to the worship song or whether I'm listening to Nate preach, and I will think, Bo, you got to remember to get those clothes out of the dryer when you get home. I'll remember that email that I meant to respond to that I forgot to respond to. We have work. Many of you with children have school. Many have sports, hobbies, projects. The greatest time of the year for me is just about over, and that's football season. How many of you know someone, or maybe you are someone, that declined some kind of invitation to do something with somebody else because it would have interfered with you watching your favorite football team? Just me? No? Okay. All right. Anyhow, I would never do that. If you believe that, I might want to move. Lightning might strike the church. Amen? We have filled our lives with so much stuff that in the moment we feel tied to, that in the moment we think it's so important that we don't have room for anything else, especially the things of God. One of the things that I've seen just in my time in full-time ministry over the years, one of the things that keeps us from this community of fellowship is apathy. Church used to be the centerpiece of our lives. And everything else radiated and revolved around our worship of God. And now we've seen a shift in our culture to where other things have taken precedence. And we still care about God. And we will fit him in on our schedule if there's available time. But we don't lose a lot of sleep if we don't do that. How many of you have thought before, you know, I really need to do this, but I just don't feel like it. I'm not interested in the Bible study. I don't want to go out to dinner with my friends tonight. Maybe you've been hurt by opening up to others, and you get to a point where you just put a wall up. I'm not sure I really care 
about this fellowship thing? How many of you have felt that? I have too. I think what it comes down to is that oftentimes we have either been hurt so many times or we've been discouraged so many times that we don't value what fellowship and community can provide us and we end up thinking that we can do without it. Many times, many of us are scared to be vulnerable. You might have thought maybe to yourself, is this a safe place? If you've been burned before, maybe you think, if I tell them and show them who I really am, will they still like me? If I share with them what I have been struggling with, will I be kicked out? I can't show them the real me. Some of you may feel this way because, again, you may have been hurt by the past, by what somebody did when you showed them the authentic you. I have met more and more people in the last several years that say, Bo, you know, I used to attend such and such, you fill in the blank church. And for one reason or another, they don't attend there anymore. And at some point, they may have tried different other options. And then once you miss church, once you get in the habit of missing church, you don't really get in the habit of missing church. Does that make sense? And we have seen that more and more and more. I read a statistic this week that we are closing two and a half times more churches in America than we are opening new ones. And to me, that's incredibly sad. You and I live in what used to be commonly referred to as the Bible Belt. I don't know about you, but if we live in the Bible Belt, we need a new buckle. We need a new influence and a new influx of the Holy Spirit. We have lost that community. And we keep all of our relationships at surface level. We keep people at arm's length because we think if I don't let them in, then I won't get hurt. The direction you choose your life will determine the target in which you hit. And here's what I mean by saying that. If you choose a busy life, if you choose a safe life, if you never put effort into fellowship and community, you will never have those deep relationships. I believe with all of my heart, you do not get anywhere in life by accident. And if we do not choose to pursue intentional community and fellowship with other believers, we will not end up with it. If we do not intentionally choose to pursue fellowship in our life, we will not miraculously wake up one day and have deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. You have got to aim your life at community and fellowship in the church, which inevitably means you have to overcome a couple of barriers to do so. 
And I get it. I've been in church all of my life, and all of my adult life has been spent has been spent in full-time ministry. But if you want the best shot at following Jesus Christ in your life, you have got to take responsibility and set the course for your life. You have got to get through the barriers that prevent us from doing so. In the New Testament, after Jesus rose from the dead at Easter, he spent 40 days and saw over 500 people after his resurrection. It's one of the strongest pieces of evidence for our faith. 500 people saw Jesus do and say the same thing. I don't know about you, but that's tough to make up. And these new believers were left to figure out what to do now after Jesus ascended into heaven. They were left to carry out the mission and the message of what Christ had told them in the Great Commission. And this is the picture that we have of Jesus' church. In Acts 2, the Bible says, They devoted to themselves, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of praying together. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they all had things in common. They sold their possessions. <coughs> they sold their belongings. They distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. These are the very first Christians. They are the very first church. There is no one else at this time. And when we say church, understand that this was very different than what we have happen here on Sunday mornings. They did not have lights and fancy music. They didn't have comfy chairs to sit in. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have an info center or a connections team to get items from. They didn't even have the Bible recorded as we know it. To make matters worse, many of them knew or had already lost family members or been excommunicated or kicked out of their community because of their beliefs. And from the very beginning of the organized church, they recognized that the only shot they had of faithfully following Jesus is by doing life together. And I think sometimes we get so distracted today by what church has become. Please do not misunderstand me and get me wrong. I love with all of my heart what we do on Sundays. But the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ is not on Sunday mornings. It's in the community. We see this in the church because they literally had nothing else but each other and their faith. And this is the model that's been in place ever since the church began. And I think it's a good reminder for us today. Number one, they listened to the apostles teach. This would be the equivalent of listening to the sermon on Sunday morning. From the very beginning, we see it set as the church learns and is taught together. 
the point of this isn't that they were getting information, rather they were learning, being encouraged, and they were being challenged together. Secondly, they had fellowship. In 2023, we see that fellowship can be a very strange word, and it may not be very well understood. But here's how I believe we should look at it. Think about your best friend, your closest friend that you have in life. Think about the things that you get to do with them. You laugh together. You cry together. You go on trips together. You share secrets with each other. You encourage one another. You challenge one another. And in this case, we look to push each other to be more like Christ. And in doing so, friends, that is fellowship. And that's a lot packed into one word. But that's what the church did. They authentically fellowshiped together. Next, they broke bread. And this has two implications. If you remember the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, before he was arrested, he took bread and he broke it, and he told them to do this every time they did it in remembrance of him. In other words, whatever, whenever they ate, whenever they broke bread together, they were to remember and to cherish what Christ had done for them. It's not coincidence that Luke, who also was at the Last Supper with Jesus and who wrote the book of Acts, Use the same words as Jesus. He tells us that they broke bread to remember, to be encouraged, to be uplifted. The second implication from this in the community is that coming from eating together is something that we've lost today. How many of you often eat around your TV? Over at Christmas, one of my students at school gave uh, me a, a Longhorn gift card. And so the week before Christmas, me and Jennifer and Jackson and Bryson, we surprised them by going to see the Christmas lights at Charlotte Motor Speedway. But before we went to, to go see the Christmas lights, we went and we had a meal together and we sat and ate together in a restaurant for the first time in a long time, honestly. And it was on a Friday night. And Nate had already shared with me that he had wanted me to preach today, and he had asked if I would use this particular scripture passage. And so in my mind, I was already thinking about illustrations and things that I wanted to share for this message. And as I sat there again, this is the first time in quite a while that we had been out on a Friday night together as a family. And you know, one of the things that I noticed this week before Christmas all around me there were very few conversations being had at the dinner table. Do you know what most people were doing? They were looking at their telephones. And as much as we want to scoff, as much as we want to say this generation, that generation, the adults that were 50 and older were just as guilty. They sat all around us and hardly made a word or an acknowledgement that anyone was even in the booth with them. 
It's the week before Christmas. It's supposed to be the most joyful time of the year. And then all around us, it looks like we were ignoring each other. Now, you've known my boys for almost 15 months now, and you know that especially my five-year-old Bryson can be a little bit of a handful. And he was bouncing off the off the, uh, the booth there at the Longhorn in Concord. And Jennifer kept trying to put her hand on his shoulder, talking about Bryson, calm down. Bryson, calm down. And finally, about the 18th, Bryson, calm down, I stopped her and I said, Jennifer, look around you. Nobody's paying attention to us. They're not even paying attention to each other. They don't care what he's doing. Eating together historically had been significant. Even back in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, God's people, were commanded to be hospitable to others, to not only invite and welcome them in, but to provide a meal to take care of their needs. And the early church continued this. They would regularly eat together. There's something special about sharing fellowship and sharing a meal with each other. The next thing they did was they prayed for each other. Today we view prayer as something that oftentimes we do alone, or maybe we do quickly right before a meal, or by a pastor in public. I remember in years past when we would go uh, with our Methodist women's group in Baden, we would always go to the Rosebriar and would have lunch together. And one of my church members would always say, all right, Bo, are you ready to pray for the group? And somebody would always pick, Della Burleson would say, uh, it's not Sunday morning, he's off the clock. Somebody else preach. How many of you, how many of us, myself included, the only time we spend during the day sometimes in prayer is right before a meal. All of these people one of the things they had in common was that they honestly and authentically prayed with each other. With all the technology and all the good that has come from making life easier and faster and more instant, one of the biggest pitfalls is believing that we don't have need for each other or at least living like we don't. The goal is to remain involved in each other's lives and to let them remain involved in ours. There is something incredibly special about coming together, laying hands on one another, and praying in the power of the Holy Spirit for someone. Coming to church can help you live that way, but coming and belonging at the church is not enough. I'm going to say something rather controversial. If you are only coming to church to hear a message and to sing a few songs, you are terribly missing the point. You can get that anywhere today. You can listen to thousands of sermons. You can download every third day or casting crown song like Philip has, and you can listen to those worship songs over and over and over again. Amen, Philip? But if that's all we ever get out of church, if that's all we ever get out, we're missing the main point. We're missing the main benefit of being the church 
The whole point is that we don't have to do life alone. You don't have to struggle alone. The purpose of the church is to provide community, to provide fellowship that in good times will celebrate you. We're having baptisms next week. We've had weddings. We've had all of these joyful celebrations. But also in the church, in the bad times, they will hold you up. They won't chase you away because you're messy and don't have all the answers. They will push you to become better. They will encourage you when you want to give up. And if we're doing things the right way, we will love you no matter what. To build each other up, to be Christ-like. And if you can't get that, if all we do is show up on church on Sunday morning a few times a month, the direction you choose for your life will determine the target that you hit. But we have got to be responsible for setting the right target because we will not unintentionally stumble upon it. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we might spur one another on to love and to good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch that verse? Let us consider... Let's word that a little differently by saying let us set the direction of our lives to love one another, to do good works, and to not neglect meeting together, to be intentional about it. When we're busy, when we're tired, when we want to give up and maybe have lost our fire and don't care, when we're maybe afraid of showing the real us, I cannot promise that if you invite someone in, it will always go positively. I know that many of you, myself included, have been burned before. But what I can promise you is that the best shot you and I have of authentically following Jesus Christ is in doing it with others around us. So we have a decision to make each and every day. Do we want to risk it and let others in? Or do we want to keep doing life on our own? Life is so hard. Amen. And I don't know about y'all, but it seems like in the last couple of years, for many people, life has gotten harder and harder. Life is hard enough to do with faith. And it's absolutely nearly impossible to do it without it. So I encourage you this morning, to break down the walls that might be holding you back. To take a risk. To say no to something on your calendar that maybe isn't as important as we believe it to be. How can we do that? I believe the first thing you and I need to do to intentionally find fellowship is to find your people. The way to do that, I believe, here at First Assembly is through our small groups. We have them with Missy all the way down to toddlers, all the way up to the seniors with John Murray. The whole point of these groups is to put you in position 
where you can connect with other people that will love you and accept you, that will encourage you, and that will push you closer to Christ. I told you about that first church that did not have fancy buildings, cool worship, or much organized, but what they had was each other. They ate together. They talked about life. They prayed together. It was in these small groups where people grew in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is in that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that we grow together. The next thing I'd encourage you to do is to share with your people. Once you have found who those are in your life, share with those people. Now, how many of you have ever been in a small group? Maybe you've been at the dinner table or in a Bible study with someone, and, and we've all been around that over-sharer. You know who I'm talking about? The first person that 12 seconds into the meeting telling you your whole life story, and you're like, brother, the waiter hadn't even brought the water yet. Calm down. We'll be here for just a little bit. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The difference between me and your senior pastor, he's an introvert, and I'm an extrovert's extrovert. I have been called an oversharer myself for as long as I can remember. So if you're an introvert like others, at some point in time we have to share in the conversation. And if you're an extrovert like me, sometimes you have to keep your mouth shut so that others feel comfortable enough to join. Some of my favorite conversations have come after we've read a passage or watched a video and somebody will say, I'm not sure how to take that. And then you would say, all right, well, let's talk about it. That's the whole point. What are we doing together? Are we providing a place to where people are comfortable enough to take the mask off and be themselves? And then lastly, I believe we have to invite others to be our people community is meant to be shared but here's what I found happens a lot we find a group that we really like we hang out we start growing and we start building people up and it's great but then at some point have you ever had something really special and you didn't want it to change you maybe didn't want new people added in because it will take away the intimacy that you'd already had if you have found great benefit in something, would you not want to share that with others? If you love your church family here, have you invited someone in the community to come and join you? Has your life been changed here by the fellowship and by the love that you have received from your church family? If you can authentically say yes to that, how often do we share that with others that maybe don't have that? Invite them in. Love them like Jesus. Be reminded that when we leave the four walls of this church, we are entering the mission field. We are more connected than ever before, and we are less faithful in our walk with Christ than almost ever before because other things have taken the place of that you and I need to be doers of the gospel not just in word 
but in action and deed. And the way that we do that is by sharing Christ with the people in our community that are hurting. Now I'm going to invite the band to come back and we're going to close. I want to tell you one more time, the best shot that you and I have at following Jesus Christ is when we do it together. Maybe you need to find your people for the first time. Maybe you found those people but still don't feel comfortable in sharing much about yourself. Maybe you've put up a wall or maybe you've worn a mask and you have not shown your authentic self. Your life is a result of where you pointed it years ago. In five years or in ten years from now, where do you want your life to be? Because it will be from a direct influence of the decisions and the responsibility you take right now. If you want a group of people to do life with, the good, bad, and the otherwise, set that direction now. We do not stumble into the body of Christ. You have to intentionally choose it. And my prayer for Albemarle First Assembly, what I pray every day that our church is known for is love and generosity as a community of believers.